Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. New shows every day. Find us at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Hockey fans, if you'd like a copy of my new book, Tales with TR, Fights, Film, and Folklore, head on over to flankerpress.com. If you'd like a personalized copy for $25 plus shipping, email me at terryryan2020 at gmail.com. That's terryryan2020 at gmail.com. Gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Tales with TR. I'm your host, Terry Ryan, back with you again for another show. Today we have the legend, Ryan Rashog. Oh my God, I just burnt my mouth. Way, way hotter coffee than I thought. And why do I drink coffee anyway when I do this? I ramble enough. Today, I'm going to practice breathing deep. <coughs> this guy's a, you know, he's a radio slash TV hockey analyst, sports reporter. So it goes without saying, he can talk and he knows how to throw together a, a story and a paragraph, a sentence. So I might as well not cut him off today. That's our little goal here. Cheers, everybody. Jesus, did I burn my mouth. As I sip again. Oh, God. So Rashog and I have been doing uh, his podcast. So, you know, he, 
he breaks it down for TSN. I mean, he had the morning show. I think it's changed now. But anyway, you know, he's a reporter for the Oilers for, for TSN out west for Edmonton, whatever. Not just hockey, but, you know, it's Rashog. So, and I, I actually played against Ryan in junior. We'll get into that. He played for Cam, Kamloops for, oddly enough, one year. Um, being oddly enough, I'm saying because elite prospects, hockey DB, usually, you know, see a little bit of a background it's odd for someone to just walk onto the Kamloops Blazers and at that time one of the best junior teams ever I mean they won three out of five Memorial Cups he would have been or three or four he would have been there like the next year but they still had they beat us that next year they didn't win the Memorial Cup but went to the second or third round it was still you know it was hard to make that team and he mustn't have been on a big time team before because elite prospects even list midget but um, yeah, it's, it's not on there. So I, I can't wait to ask him. I mean, nothing before, nothing after just walked on and played a year with the Kamloops Blazers in the Western league, um, which is odd, but you know, so is everybody in their own little way. Ryan now, I know he went to broadcasting school. We'll get into all that, but how he became one of the mainstays at TSN. Well, I guess that's what we're about to find out. But anyway, so we've been doing this thing, Got Your Back, which is his podcast on the side as part of his job, I guess. So with Jason Strudwick, who's also a TV and radio personality in Edmonton, an ex-player, ex-NHL or ex-Kamloops Blazer. Struds was in a couple of those Memorial, Memorial Cups I talked about. Um, and we've been doing his podcast, Got Your Back. So. I, you know, it's after the Oilers game, either the next morning or right after the game. So on the downside, I got to stay up and watch it, but it, which I don't mind. I mean, it's the Oilers, but I'm saying time-wise, you know, Newfoundland, we're three and a half hours ahead of, of uh, Edmonton or Alberta time. So I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm tuning into the game. It starts at 11, usually closer to 11.30, my time. Watch it and then wait for the uh, the media scrums and everything to be over at the end. And when, when Ryan's all said and done, then we do the podcast. So last night it was like 4.30 or 5 in the morning, which, I, again, I, I love that. I love being up at that time for the right reasons. <laughs> because you feel like you got a head start on the day. I haven't gone to bed yet. You just have, to have a feeling that, you know, like 2, 3 in the morning is a great time for me. I often put on old like radio shows from like the 1930s or 40s or an old Beatles album or, or, or any album. I, I talk about the Beatles an awful lot, but honestly, I love them. But months go by, I don't listen to them. That's the truth. Uh, I just it's an easy point of reference for people. So I toss it out there. But. Uh, you know, or, or any album I like, I, I like that time and, and doing those things. It's usually an old album. Uh, new albums in my mind for some reason or for during the day At two three in the morning when there's nothing on the go a nice old am radio show or an album that was written and produced in the 1940s 50s or 60s i'm impartial to the 60s i'm partial to the 60s um a couple nights ago it was bob dylan blonde on blonde because it's like a time machine for me. It's, it's, it's not just the experience of the music, for sure. And usually at that hour and late at night, I've got a weed gummy or two in me, and I'm relaxed. I, I can't do that during the day because I'm, 
I'm on the go. I have a hell of a lot going on. And even though I love a weed, a gummy buzz, THC buzz, I got too much going on during the day to really delve into that. Uh, CBD relaxes me a bit for those that don't know strains of weed or what it's all about. I'm probably boring you, but no, I, I can't get stoned during the day because I got to kind of have a, for anything that I'm doing, I, I got it. My mind has to stay somewhat sharp, sharp for me, which is dull. And, uh, or what's the word? Not dull. I wouldn't say my mind is dull, uh, but it's, it's all over the place. It's a bunch of lightning rods with some ideas are good. Some are bad. Some are insane. And then just figuring out what will people respond to. <laughs> And uh, what, what I have so many thoughts going through my head that it's often what not to say. Process of elimination before I open my mouth. And ladies and gents, that's what OCD is all about. Mm. God damn it, I burnt my mouth again. For someone with OCD, I'm awful forgetful. Um. Yeah, so uh, last night we broke down the Edmonton game, Calgary. Oh, God. I, I, I couldn't believe what I was watching. Um, in that, I mean, the Oilers came out. I, I think they looked terrified. Like, there's something to be said for home ice, but I watched all the games. It was some games against L.A. They were flying. They were hitting. And I know, like, Calgary hit a little bit more. They're big. I mean, God, I forgot how big Zadorov was. Like six foot six, man. Like two forty, right? I mean, every time Lucic, the, the fans would yell Lucic, and Oilers would jump out of the way. Uh, it it was crazy. Like it, like it was a paintball game, and for a thousand bucks, and you couldn't get hit. I mean, it it was insane. Like I said last night, it was like. Dawn of the dead, and he was patient one. Like, people were terrified. I don't know if that's all the physical part. I mean, it is, you know, but I find when I played home games, all that stuff was subconscious. But when you're playing on the road, it's the fans. Like, everybody seems a bit bigger. Shots, I remember. Blocking shots. Not that I was ever a big shot blocker, especially back then when it wasn't required. Are you kidding me? I'm going to get in the way of fucking Zidane Slayer's Chara's... Sheldon Surrey's slap shot in junior with nope ads on my ankles and the old leather fucking foot skates. I hated it, but you know, if it's close late in the game or it's, or it's playoffs, I would do it, but I would uh, find that, you know, you do it at home and you get the momentum of the fans and you don't really feel it. It's like you're, the adrenaline's going and it, it becomes like subconscious, but when you're on the road, you got to think about it. So I'm not saying that you come out there going, I'm scared of Milan Lucic, but when the puck drop, man, like it, right from the puck drop, you, you can watch the three players on Calgary are up and going. Chagudro was one of them. I'm not saying these are big guys. Lucic didn't get out till three minutes in. I just mean it was right off the bat, flames coming at you with everything, Oilers tentative. Connor McDavid got hit himself three times in the first period, and the Oilers only threw five hits. And that's not, I mean, a commentary on just the Oilers, but it happens. But uh, that's huge. I mean, you know, some of those home games. 
guys are running around like where's Archibald with his 13 hits? The, I mean, you know, and I, I, I don't want to call out guys that are out there for two ships a period either because that's not fair. But to a person, they weren't as spunky. Um, maybe as always, you could take Dries out a lot of that, and, and or because he's hurt. Sorry, I mean, and, and McDavid, as always, meaning they, they usually show up. But even Dreisaitl playing injured, but he played a bit tentative, as you would, but it was still noticeable. And McDavid was McDavid. But you need more than one player. And uh, it was hard to be intense against the Flames last night because they just had the whole crowd behind them. And, and they're physical, man. I could just tell. Like, people... Evander Kane, there's an example of someone who knows, like he's cheeky about it. I played his position, whether it be left wing or right wing, and I know what it's like coming out of your own end is tough because you've got, or getting the puck if it's rimmed around. Any hockey player knows what I'm talking about, that's played forward at least, knows what I'm talking about. But just picture, like you got to come out of that zone. So either you're taking a pass over on the wall or it's rimmed around and you got to get it out. Either way, that defenseman can come down and hit you. Right? So. It's hard to really act tough. Like it, and on the road, when you're hearing footsteps, you just got to get in your own head and just got to do it. But it's not natural. Like my, I'm, I'm not kidding. My default setting is wuss. I'm out there thinking about scoring. That's it. That's all my. Now, if I get mad or something, that's different. But when I'm out there, I don't want to get hit like, like anything. I don't know, man. I'm not trying to be macho and anything like that. Quite the opposite. I, I'm just telling you the way it is. Like I would go into, let's say junior Prince Albert or you know, I don't know, some tough buildings to play in swift current. It's tough. You know, it's not like you got to really psych yourself up just to, just to get out. I mean, you want to do it. It's your teammates, but you know, it's easy to say, you know, let's just get, go through the motions this game and play the home game. It gets that different. I mean it like the, the, the energy and everything. But you got to battle through it. But, you know, so I know because I did it. So, like, I remember being like, man, do people notice that I'm not getting it out on the wall or I'm soft? I don't want to be soft, but it's subconscious. I'm trying to. But then right when you're on the offense, you can, like, hit somebody or you can muck it up after the whistle or, like, when Kane, like, kind of nearly went at Lucic, people are like, oh, at least he's showing up. No, I'm not getting anything personally against Evander Kane, but he was awful getting it out on the wall last night. Though that's where it is, right? It's getting out on the wall, like taking the hits. They hurt a little bit more. Blocking shots hurts a little bit more. You know, anybody can throw a hit, right? Anybody can go behind the net, and he did. And on McDavid's goal, uh, Kane certainly opened the door for that with, with a hit behind the net. Uh, but like I said, anybody can do that. And I'm, I'm not saying that he's playing scared or they are. It wasn't only him. I'm using him as an example because I could see that it was in his head. I've been there as a winger and he wasn't confident getting it out of that zone where you just got to put yourself in playoff mode, man. And you got to go, I'm coming just like he is. And the puck comes to me, I'm going to reverse hit him or I'm going to do whatever, or I'm going to claw bite and scratch. If I got to, I'm going to get in and there's going to be a scrum and I'll fucking claw him. I'll, I'll, I'll get in his ear, man. I'll, but you, you can't give in to the soft, kind of subconscious nature of it that, that's at least what i found in playoff hockey it's like it's like in camp like when i would go to camp especially in the montreal years i mean camp that goes on my whole life it's either ball hockey national camp or or you know junior's camp you know maybe 
in the summers, there's always when I was a kid, hockey camps. Uh, I guess when I was a kid, that's different from where I'm going. But you know, any any pro team I played on, like even though you know those leagues, like in in Idaho and in, in the coast, whatever. You, I still had to go to camp, and you want to make a good impression. So, the particular Montreal years say. I knew there was a lot of pressure on me as their first round pick. I knew that they might say a lot. You, you could say a lot about me. You could say that I didn't live up to it. You could say whatever. I made some stupid decisions. That'd be your opinion. But I don't think anybody could say that when I was at camp, anybody that went there with me, that I didn't give it everything I had. Like, and I remember that being like, I can't make myself score. I can't make myself get an assist. I want to get points, but I can't, I can put myself in a good position to do that because I can make myself hit. I can fight all comers. I remember getting shit kicked by Donald Bashir and everybody sees YouTube. Uh, Ty Domi three times, but that was during camp. Right. And, and that was just it in my mind. I can go out and I can be snake bit. It happens. But if I do those things, a, I'm going to get chances, which follows suit. It always does. And it did. I didn't bury a lot. Remember the first camp. I didn't bury a lot at all. But Jacques Demers gave me a game in the form and a game in Montreal or Maple Leaf Gardens. And that was, you know, just such great memories. Both rinks were shut down shortly after. He knew that. I was a big Habs fan, a, a hockey history fan. And uh, I remember him saying it. He said, you know, you, you, you didn't have a great touch around the net. He was very honest. But he said, you really worked hard and showed a lot of spunk, a lot of balls. He said, do you want a game? Do you want a couple of games in the NHL? You'll, you'll have to miss your... Uh, Tri-City home opening because we're definitely sending you back. But you've earned yourself a game in Montreal Forum and the next night, Maple Leaf Gardens. And uh, that was my philosophy always. You know, that, that way you can feel good about yourself and take the pressure off, right? Like if I was a player, I would always take less. It's a lot of money. I didn't like pressure. I didn't like playing under it. I hated it. Um. Like I said, I love watching. I do think the Leafs have some kind of, it's hard to take now, but I think those players, and I think, the, I think they'll get through the first round. I do. I think they'll do it next year. It's a long way out, but what I'm saying here is that I don't, like, I like Mitch Marner, but I never would have taken 11 million. It's hometown. Like, I'm set for life anyway. I can't even count the amount of money that's coming in. I can't fathom it. Like, you know, I, I don't even have to think about anything. I'm set for life then I would have done the team a huge favor and just said, look, I'll sign for nine, right? Um, or whatever. I just like taking the pressure off. And to me, that was another way to do it. People would be like, oh, man, you're nuts for bare knuckle fighting those people. Kind of, but I'd rather take a punch than go to bed with anxiety because I'm doing nothing. And that's the truth. I'd way rather it. I'd choose it every time. Because to me, the mental, the anxiety, the which can lead to nervous depression or, or whatever it might be like it's a really fine line between all those feelings where, where does one end and one begin where does positive anxiety end and nervous energy begin and when does depression come in if, if you're not successful those are all deep deep buried in the mind in my frontal lobe somewhere but i know that the easy equation is that if i put my body on the line everybody here is going to respect it right? First game in Tri-City, fight Kale Hulse. Why? Because the captain, the assistant captain, and all these vets, coach, everybody in the building is going to respect me a little bit more. It was, 
I mean, those those games, whenever you saw me in a camp or like first games with a team, I wasn't even thinking score. If it happened, great. Uh, including the CHL All-Star game when I fought Brian Burrard. Um, that's what I was thinking in the game. I was like, you know, these guys are all on, on the low end of the totem pole here. CHL All-Star game, 95. Uh, me and Lanks came in, Damon Lankow, and all the, most of them had played World Junior or they were stars. They had, we were just kind of coming into our own. I don't think we were, I'm, I'm positive that, you know, everybody had just watched the World Junior. This was like February. World Juniors ended in, 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 in January. So like Ed Jovanoski and Darcy Tucker and Eric Daze and Jeff O'Neill and Jeff Friesen and go down the list, Ryan Smith. That's who people were, were cheering for, right? Uh, but there, I just in my mind, right before the game, I was like, I think people thought I was kidding. I was sitting next to Brian McCabe. I told him, I said, I'm, I'm going to fight Jovanoski, I was thinking, because he had gone first overall. It's an all-star game. It's like there's goons out there. So I uh, said, so I'll go him. He said, no. I mean, why would he fight? Not that he was scared. He just laughed at me. And then my dad, who was sitting with Brian Burrard's father, because we had the same agent, um, you know, well, my dad, nothing. I fought Burrard. I, I, he hit, hit me, knocked me down. I asked him. I said, yeah, you want to go? He said, I'd fucking love to. Dropped his gloves as our old man watched, our old man watched the game, taking it all in. See what's see what's going on now. I'm on coffee, right? I've been rambling. I've been talking. I've been speeding it up. I'm going to take it back to uh, an eight point five out of ten. Anyway, I think the Oilers should do that, and they didn't. Like, and, and I'm sick of people. What did Woodcroft say? Their coach at the end of the game. I think I think he referred to something. We weren't mentally ready. How the fuck are you not mentally ready? Mentally ready. That should be what you, you know, I can't, again, I can't make myself go score, but my legs can move. Everybody should get a few hits in, in the first period. Just go out there and everybody that's playing, you know, just go out there and, and move your fucking legs, man. Go hard. We weren't mentally ready, mentally fucking ready. What are you talking about? Just get your feet going. I can see like the odd mistake, but it was as if they were in fucking playing a beer league game of shinny. It was as if it was exhibition, man. Soft plays, but sauce passes, backhand across the ice, getting picked off. Meanwhile, Johnny Goudreau, who's five foot two, 90 pounds, is flying around like Gila Fleur, man, and don't even hitting them. That was awful. Now, the Oilers have a history of playing terrible and then playing great, whether it's a shift, a game, or a, a, a month or a season. So I do think they'll come back with a better effort, but. Good God. The only reason it was remotely close is because Markstrom played like a fucking shooter tutor. Okay, what do we got? Ryan Rashad, part two. Coming right up. Hockey fans, the pursuit for the Stanley Cup is on and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has an unbelievable offer for the most exciting playoffs in all all sports. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $100 in free bets no matter what, win or lose. Looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the playoffs with DraftKings same game day parlays? You can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, how many goals will be scored, and more. It's your shot at an even bigger payout. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. 
Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So what are you waiting for? Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN. Bet $5 on any NHL team to win and get $100 in free bets no matter what. That's code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Ladies and gentlemen, my next guest suited up for the legendary Kamloops Blazers in the mid-1990s and always had a passion for the great game of hockey. After his junior career, he'd remain in British Columbia and continue to stay involved in the game, albeit from the other side of the puck, enrolling in British Columbia Institute of Technology and choosing broadcast communications. These days, he's a familiar face on TSN Edmonton as a bureau reporter and hosts the popular podcast, Got Your Back, of which I've had the privilege to be a frequent guest as of late. He is a radiant reporter. A pretty good player, a blissful broadcaster, a bodacious blazer, a wild westerner, a fantastic friend. He likes to hike and makes magic with the mic. Bick makes good razors, and he played for the Blazers. He didn't score well in the WHL, but had all the heart and was really smart. So with his pencil as his tool, he ventured into school, and it was no surprise when he landed at TSM so away went the beers and he stayed there for years he often does a stick with jason strudwick it's a hell of a squad on the got your back pod i know this is true because i'm on there sometimes too ladies and gents in st john's we often get a fog and please welcome my pal it's ryan rishog how you doing buddy man you fully commit to those intros. Like you, you fully commit Letterkenny style. Let's overcook this thing to the nth degree. I love it, buddy. I love you know, it. I just started. I, I don't, I wouldn't know when I know I didn't do this at the very beginning. At some point I was doing it and it was a little bit of fun and it breaks up the night for me. This is the thing. Yeah. I often say all those tales of a first round, nothing. By the way, welcome to your interview where I'm answering the first question that you this did. Is, that I'm the reporter, buddy. I, yeah. I flipped the script on you. I'm going to do this a lot today. <laughs> this, is, this is what I do. I'm going to have you crying by the end of this thing. <laughs> well, I tell you, I always, when I first went away and I'm an only child and before the internet and all that, um, I found writing as a decent outlet. My father, uh, would, would really and my mother really i always give him the credit but she was just as forceful in that read or write 15 20 minutes a night could be rolling stone magazine you could write a little little paragraph whatever you want but just yeah. do one or the other so it became almost an outlet for me i would get to the rink early and write like you know if i was nervous for a game so yeah. that's it so uh, that slot has to be taken somehow uh, and i find getting ready for one of these is a lot more fun than looking out the window and writing a poem about spring, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, you do it well, buddy. You do it well. So listen, I I lost my dad about six years ago. Tell me more about your dad and your relationship with him and, and what it means to you in your life, T.R. Oh, yeah. <laughs> First of all, that's incredible. But since you're going to start there, I was going to ask you a question. So that's as good a place as any about growing up. Okay. So you lost your father six years ago. Did you guys, and you are, it says Kamloops on your hockey DB. Are you from there? No, actually I'm not. I, uh, I was actually born uh, in the Edmonton area. I put in 10 good hard years growing up in Prince George, BC, buddy. 
that's where I developed the leathery skin that now gets me through my uh, my hard winters in uh, in Alberta. Uh, and then from there, it was on to Sherwood Park for some junior high, and then to Kamloops for high school, and then uh, and then I ended up playing a bit of junior hockey after high school in Kamloops. So I moved around quite a bit, man. My dad my dad moved the family around. He was like a he was a branch manager for a company called Convoy Supply. And every time one of their branches was in trouble, they'd float my dad in to help get it uh, fixed up and get it making money and running smooth again. So he was like a, a Mr. Fix-It for the company. And so we moved around a little bit, but uh, it was good life experience. Yeah, I'd say. Stuff that Me too. I mean, well, hey, my neck of the woods, Cornell, BC, right? Oh. And, uh, looking back, yeah. It, it, at the time, moving out from here, I was like, God, I... I just really didn't want to do it. But looking back, great life experience. I got a lot of friends from there. Yeah. So were you always interested in the journalistic side of it? Or were you were you a bona fide blue chip prospect? Because I tell you here, usually Hockey DB will fill in the blanks, if not elite prospects. Everybody's played somewhere before Major Junior. I don't yeah. see anything. Ryan Rashad, no. tell us about okay. was hockey big in your life and... Did you also like journalism or reporting at a young age? Yeah. So on the, on the journalism thing, I can tell you that my mom has cassette tapes of me at like six years old interviewing my younger brother where I'm like, hi, I'm Brian and this is sports talk. And here we've got Grant Fuhr and Grant, you know, what was wrong with you guys last night? And then my brother would be like, Oh, you know, and I'm like, you're doing it wrong. And I mean, I was the, I was a radio host at like seven, eight years old. I, uh, and my mom has the receipts on that one. So yeah, definitely always had sort of some buried away interest in doing this. Uh, I don't know, maybe it's, it's an Eagle thing. Maybe it's, I, I don't know where it came from. I like to hear myself talk. People in my life will say, I like to hear myself talk. So maybe that's something to do with that. And on the hockey front, buddy, like, honestly, I was just a, I was an okay minor hockey player. Like I was a rep, I was a triple A rep player. I started, uh, I played host league my whole life until second year peewee. And, uh, then I tried out for rep, made triple A, um, one year, double A Bantam. One year, AAA Bantam, never drafted, never listed, never talked to a scout in my life. I was a, like a third, fourth line player most of those years. Uh, wore a letter, like I was an honest player. And then I played two years of midget AAA. And not a word of a lie, like on my second year midget on my AAA team, I was like a third line grinder. Wow. Like, I, w- I was just a middle of the way guy. And, uh, you know, a couple junior camps in there, right? Got cut from Kamloops at 16. They invited me as a local kid. Sure, come try out. Made main camp, then got cut, which was fine. Uh, went to Portland at 17. Um, that was fast. Boy, they took me for my registration fee. Holy snap. I don't know if you ever had that happen to you. I was like, it was like two and a half days. Like, I get to camp, like, we go all the way to, I think it was like Kimberly. I go all the way there and uh, uh, that was their farm team back then. Yeah. 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 So I go all the way there and, you know, I'm got a place to stay and everything. We're all good. Two days into camp. I get, you know, I had just gotten my gloves. It was main camp, just gotten my helmet and I get called in to talk to Petey and uh, yeah, we got to let you go. I was like, oh, okay, sure. Didn't even get to a scrimmage. No. And by the time I got back to the dressing room, uh, the gear was gone. <laughs> my old stuff was back in my bag. So like the trainers clearly know before you do what your fate is. Right. Um, so I got cut as a 17 year old from there. And then honestly, after that buddy, like I played a year of midget triple a, uh, you know, graduating with my friends, having a 
good time. I was like, ah, I'm probably going to shut it down. And then I decided, wow, well, your Kamloops invited me to camp. And I was like, ah, oh, shit, I'll just try one more junior camp. Like you never know. Right. So I trained hard in the summer. Like I worked hard and uh, I had decided if I wasn't making the Kamloops blazers, I was going to shut it down. Like I was good. Had a good run, not on a blazing a trail to the NHL or anything silly like that. I just thought, ah, oh, shit, we'll give it a go. Well, they just happened to need physical right wingers and, TR, but the only thing I did at a Western Hockey League level above average was hit. That's the only thing I was any good at uh, at an above average level. Everything else, I was uh, I was well below average, and I got lucky and I hooked on as a, a townie. Uh, I was basically an eighteen year old walk on. So that's why my uh, hockey DB is just an abyss of nothingness. That's interesting, though. It doesn't surprise me you were a good hitter, and it would have been a commodity back then. I mean, hitting in Western Megan Junior, and you know that was. Even when they were at the top of their game, winning Memorial Cups, even their best players. I'm, I'm thinking now, Joan Aginla Tucker, right? Yeah. I mean, Matt Dominic Kelly. Tyson Nash, yeah. Wasn't a hitter. I can't think of many. That, yeah, Tyson Nash, Chris Murray. I'll go down the list, man. Uh, so no wonder. That makes sense. So I hear, anyway, I, I hear about this injury. So was it career ending at the time, like knowing, or did, like, at the end of your your first year, which would be your last full year of yeah. major junior, were you thinking still like, I'm going to go on and make something as a hockey player or were you starting to go, okay, like I'm going to check. Uh, so I had a good playoff. I sat the entire first round against Seattle and then I got in against you guys, yeah. the tri city Americans. I got in in game three in the, in the best of five. We were, uh, maybe it was game four. I can't remember. Uh, and, uh, scored a goal in my first playoff game. Holy shit. Um, so I got to play game five back at home and it was a, you know, winner take all against you guys. And I scored again. Um, but I separated my shoulder that game, uh, Zenith Komarniski, and I went uh, shoulder to shoulder and popped my shoulder out and separated the joint. And uh, I finished the game. I actually scored the goal after. Um, but, uh, then I had to miss some time in the Spokane series after we had uh, after we got past you guys and got into a couple of games in that series, but my shoulder was a mess. And then of course, like, you know, the way it was back in the day, like who rehabs in the summer, like who actually, Oh, I better go to physio and I better, you know, do the dynamic movement and elastic band. No, we didn't do any of that shit. We basically was like, okay, well, when it feels better, I'll go start trying to bench press more than I should. Yeah. And, uh, and so what happened is, is, is in training camp that year, my back went on me. Well, we all know now I'm all connected, right? And so started having major back issues. I'd had back issues in the past, but they just flared up really badly on me. And so it was like a fist fight to get into the, you know, to get into the scrimmages and get into the games. And, and uh, it just kept getting worse and worse. So I, I basically spent four months trying to rehab this back injury. And every time I'd get close, it'd go on me again. And, uh, you know, there were a lot of young guys closing ground too. Like I was a very borderline player in that league. So I'm kind of reading the tea leaves and it's like, yeah, like, I, I'm, you know, I'm not at best TR. I'd have been like grinding in the East Coast League or maybe would have gotten a sniff in the American League uh, on a tryout or something like that. Like I, I knew who I was. I knew where I was. And I had this back injury where when I tried to take a step, my I would crater. I'd buckle and fall on the floor. Like it was that bad. And this is months later. And uh I just decided, you know what, even if I do get my back fixed, I don't want to play hockey on it. Like I got, I want to be able to pick up my kids. I want to be able to live my life. It was yeah. scary. Like, it was really bad. bad. So, yeah. So I, I shut her down, man. Went in and sat down with the GM, Stu McGregor at the 
time. And I just said, look, Stu, like, I appreciate everything you've done for me. And, you know, I just, I, I got the rest of my life to live and this back injury is scaring the hell out of me. And I know where I'm at. Like young guys were pushing, you know, I, I might not have even played that much if I did get back. So, so I shut her down and, and, uh, got a job at Earl's bartending. And like three weeks later, the team was in and I was serving them drinks from the bar. <laughs> really? So you, you immediately knew then that you were, you were going to go in and what you were going to do at school, like as you were playing exit. I do. Yeah. I remember. Cause I, I, uh, I called my dad the day I made my decision and we went and had lunch at Boston pizza. I said, dad, I'm done, man. Like I'm done. This is too much. And even if it does get better, I just don't know, you know, if it's going to work for me. And, uh, the other thing about it, TR, like, I don't know what your experience was back then, but like, you know, I wasn't blazing a trail towards being a first round pick. I was very, you know, there was a lot of pressure that came with trying to play junior hockey and trying to play it the way that I had to play it, you know, skating around, hitting everything you could, man. You had a lot of people knocking on your door. That was like, Oh boy, who's it going to be? What's that? Did they want you to fight? No, I was, that wasn't my role. I wasn't a tough guy that had to go out and fight. But when you played the game the way I did, you just found you. And I wasn't a guy that could get away with, you know, skating away scared. I definitely wasn't that guy at all. So, listen, I don't want to misrepresent the situation. Nobody would remember me as a fighter. Nobody would remember me like that. But I got into my share and, you know, I did okay. I wasn't that tough. I was a lefty. So I kind of, you know, I mean, I survived a scrap with Reed Low once. That's kind of my claim to fame fighting wise. I didn't get killed. Um, but. Yeah, there's a lot of pressure that came with with on any given night knowing that that's what you were facing, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so I, you know, I often wonder, I think back and I wonder, you know, how much of it was, you know, the back injury, because I, I do believe that's what it was and it was legit, but there was something freeing about not having to live with that stress anymore. And it's tough to kind of admit that because you don't want to sound like a, you don't want to sound like a, you know, like, like a sissy. But like, I remember feeling like, okay, I don't need to worry about getting my orbital bone caved in tonight. Like, oh, that's a relief, you know? And for a guy that knew he probably wasn't going anywhere in hockey, I I don't know. I guess maybe when that pressure released, I kind of was glad. Uh, Does that make sense to you? No, this makes total sense. And and I can relate not from my exit from the game, but there was a couple of times like I remember coming down, I had, I had an injury and, and, and I, I was having a real stressful time playing under Michelle Terrian. I just did. We didn't get along at all. Um, I, I, I'm not casting stones this many years later. That The game was about being, you know, a lot of coaches looked at it, Mike Keenan philosophy. and He was of that mold. I'd never dealt with it. And, and a couple of times I had an injury. And I, looking back, I, I don't think I ever was a guy who milked it or pulled a shoot, but I, I don't know. The line's foggy. Did I take an extra couple of weeks? I think maybe. I remember at the end of one year just being so relieved. And I'm going, wow, I'm, I'm on the Montreal Canadiens. And I'm here enjoying the fact that I'm playing baseball with my buddies and my cell phones at, at home. And yeah. it was just because, you know, it's, it's, it's relative weird. Pressure. It's relative pressure. And the thing, my, now my father had played the game and I, I, he always saw that like, in minor hockey, my dad, and, and I used to get it too, as, as I got better, the best player in the province in, you know, my peewee years before I left. And um, I don't mind saying that. That's not cocky. It was yeah. way bigger than everybody. 
you know, there's a lot of things, but we, uh, we were the best team and I was the best player. It's black and white. And, uh, yeah. my dad, you know, with that came a lot of ridicule and, you know, and then like you would, I mean, I, I don't know. I played soccer. I wasn't the best player, but I wanted to get Wayne Francis who was, and I wanted our <laughs> to be all over, you know, so I get that. I understand it. But my dad was like, you know, it's only going to add to it if I'm there and you're Terry Ryan's son. And I didn't want to be that either. I did not want to be Terry Ryan's son. I hated it. I hated it. I'm like, call no. me something else. But, and so he only came to games when I asked him, but he was, but, but I felt his pressure, even though he really never put it on me. I felt like I had to him. So for you, and I just mentioned, you, you know, if you, you were the first thing you mentioned when you made the decision, whether it was subconscious or not, you, you know, I went out with my dad and we talked. So your dad must have been behind you. I'm guessing, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Said, dad totally had my back. He, he understood. He knew me. He knew that I was mature enough and he knew that I was greedy enough not to make that call unnecessarily. Um, you know, my mom was really emotional. You know, she'll probably get pissed at me for telling this story, but you know, when I, with that day that I packed it in, I said to, uh, I said to my coach, listen, can I just, I'm going to go out for practice like 10, 15 minutes today. And then we'll tell the guys after practice. He was like, yeah, sure. So I went out on the ice and just kind of skated around. Didn't really do many drills and stuff. He announced it to the group afterwards. Guys were kind of surprised, you know, had a good chance. Uh, I played on that team with a couple of other local guys that would play minor hockey together, Blair Rhoda and AJ Baines and, and uh, a few of those guys. And so we stayed on the ice a little extra long and kind of hung out, sat on the blazer B at center ice and shot the shit a little bit. And, uh, you know, they were sad for me, but you know, they also trusted me and knew I was doing what I had to do. So we go into the locker room and, and uh, Spike comes in our trainer and he's like, uh, he's like, Reesh, your mom's out here. And I was like, what? He says, your mom's out here. <laughs> So I go walking outside the dressing room. My mom's standing there kind of down the hall where the office is and she's in tears. And she's like, Ryan, she's like, we can fix you. Like we can, we can fix you. We can keep trying. We can, you know, you've worked so hard for this. You've tried so hard. You've put so much into this, you know, and it wasn't about, you know, my mom not wanting to lose her son playing hockey or something ending for her. She just didn't want that ending for me. And it was really hard. I, mean, I walked over in my gear. I gave her a big hug. I was like, it's okay, mom. Like, it's okay. I'm good with this. I'm going to be good. You know, I got plans. I know what I want to do. Like, we're going to be okay here. And, you know, I love you and thank you for coming here. But, uh, and then, uh, you know, actually, as I'm recalling this, this was before practice that she uh, did this because then I remembered they sat and watched my last practice. So my mom and dad sat up in the stands together I could tell them, had the tissues out and like, that's hard for a mom, you know, watch your kid go through this journey and then achieve this goal. And then, you know, have this injury and then it all shuts down. Like, man, we often don't think about what the parents go through in on these roller coasters that we watch these players endure. No, you're right. And uh, it's something that's certainly not thought of enough. You mentioned in your family, you seem real close to them. Now, I've heard a story that, uh, your family adopted a teenager when you were a teenager. Uh, yes. You, okay, so can you uh, finally tell me this story that uh, I've heard more than once, to be honest with you, but I've never got the details. And were you in high school? If you were, would that have affected your hockey career? How do you mean when I was in high school, would which have affected? Well, I've heard the teen, that you adopted a teenager, but I mean... That's a great thing, but it, it, did it throw off the balance of your yeah. hockey? You know, being no, it was good. It, it didn't. It didn't. It didn't really bump into that at all. But I mean, listen. Here's here's the quick notes. I, I moved to Kamloops in grade ten. Didn't know anybody, and uh, 
tried to make a friend one day said to this guy, we were chatting a little bit in English class. And I was like, Hey man, you want to like, I don't know, grab some McDonald's or something later or whatever. And he was like, well, actually I got to move. So if you want to help me move, I was like, okay, cool. So, uh, he was the backstory on Mike is that he was adopted into a very bad situation. And I, I think he'll be okay with me sharing all of this story. Uh, he was adopted into a really bad situation, endured some things in his home that he should never have, have had to endure. He was actually adopted by two blind people, um, but had to endure some things that were really, really tough when he was a young man. And so he got himself into a pile of trouble, uh, rebelling, you know, through junior high um, and ended up basically a social worker showed up at school one day and said, yeah, your parent or your mom doesn't want you anymore. The dad had taken off already. And the mom basically said, yeah, I'm done. And, uh, so, you know, Mike, you know, in grade nine, I think he was on his second go around in grade nine. He wasn't, you know, wasn't paying attention to school. He'd failed a little bit, was in all, getting into trouble. Um, didn't have anywhere to go. So he moved in with a friend for like a year. And so fast forward to grade 10 and Mike had totally cleaned himself up, right? No more booze, no more other issues, totally straightened himself out, clean cut, you know, nice guy. Uh, I was helping him move from his buddy's house into a social worker's house. And now Mike's 17 at this time, the social worker's job was for six months. They were going to teach him to cook and clean and budget and live on his own. And then the system was done with him. Poof, done. Grade 10, 17 years old, wow. got, a, got a job at McDonald's and a little car and grades that are through the floor and, but he'd cleaned himself up. And so I helped him move into this apartment with these social workers and I invited him for dinner and, uh, started coming around a little bit. He and I became fast friends, just a, just a purely good human being and uh fast friend for me. I was new in town and we just became really good buddies and he started hanging out more and more coming over more and more for dinners. And uh, every once in a while, he'd crash on the weekend, you know, sleep over, play video games and stuff. Um, and then the six months was up and it was time for Mike in grade 10 to try and find his own apartment somewhere because the government was done with him. And uh, we started looking a little bit and uh, it, was, it was nuts. It was crazy. It was just, there was no way for it to work. And so my parents pulled me aside and they're like, look, right, like we just, yeah, we can't let this happen. Like we're, we're going to ask him if he wants to move in, if you're okay with it. And of course I was like, hell yeah. It's like my best friend. Are you kidding me? Hell yeah. Let's do it, man. Like he had a car, he had, he had his own car, which for a great tenor is like, that's a big freaking deal. Right. Hey, man. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. So we asked Mike to move in and he was at first, he was like, no, no, man, I lived with my buddy for the last year. It didn't go great. Like, ah, I just, and I'm like, so at first he said, no, and I pulled him aside. I'm like, Mike, you need this, buddy. Like, trust me, you need this. Like, let's just do it. You and I will be fine. You need to take this opportunity. So he, reluctantly, he agreed. So he moved in uh, grade 10, grade 11. Uh, my mom sat up with him at night, working on his English, working on his math, you know, tutoring him, helping him, helping him. They spent hours and hours getting his schooling to where it needed to be. Uh, he probably had the English level of like, I don't know, grade six or seven, like just terms of reading and writing, like he was well behind. Right. And I'm not being hard on him. It's just, it was, it was the upbringing. Right. So grade 10, grade 11, grade 12, we graduate together. 
Um, after graduation, uh, he enrolls in college, but goes to work for my dad at my dad's company uh, in the summers, uh, becomes a corrections officer, uh, moves to Prince George, BC, um, where we all put in our time, right? The Rashogs had to put in their 10 years in Prince George. So Mike moved there, worked in a youth facility there and uh, met a girl, you know, got married. And then we were all gathering in our, uh, we were all gathering in Victoria where my parents had moved to for a family surprise for my dad's birthday. It was his 50th birthday, I think. And, uh, you know, Mike, Mike was pretty quiet. You know, he didn't say a lot, you know, but my dad at dinner kind of clinked the glass and he says, okay, guys, Mike's got something to say. And Mike kind of got up reluctantly and he was like, well, you know, I, I check with mom and dad. And he's calling, calling the mom and dad. He says, I check with them. And, you know, she says, I'm going to get emotional telling this. He said, uh, um, it's my, the angle's my dad here. I haven't told this story since we lost dad. He said, I talked to mom and dad and uh, they're okay with it. And if it's okay with all you guys, I'm going to change my last name and I'm going to become a Rashad. So, uh, yeah, we were all just like, what? Like, yes, that's amazing, you know, and big hugs and laughter. And, you know, we were all teary and stuff. And like, uh, honestly, buddy, it's it's the greatest thing that's ever happened to our family. We we opened our hearts and our home to this guy. And uh, he's just been an incredible you know, addition to our family. He is as loyal as they come, as strong and fierce uh, as they come. And, you know, the kicker of all of it, T.R.? I'm going to get emotional. What is it? We all grew up with this unbelievable dad who was like nurturing and amazing to all of us. And just, you know, the purest example of what a father needs to be. And somehow out of all of us, Mike ended up being probably the most natural nurturing dad out of all of us. He had that in him somewhere, despite the crap he put up with and the way he was raised and all that shit. Somehow, Mike ended up being this incredible father that we've all learned lessons from, you know, somehow. Like, he's an amazing guy, and so was my dad. And, uh, you know, the last thing I'll, t- uh, I'll tell you about this to wrap this story up is that Mike, he always wanted to be a, he always wanted to be a police officer. And for, uh, for 10 years, he applied. And it took him 10 years to get accepted into depot. And finally, he got accepted. And it was amazing. And Mike got into go start training to live his dream. You know, my parents were so proud of him. We were all so proud of him. And uh, three weeks into depot, we lost dad. And uh, Mike came home. You know, they, they cleared him for three or four days. He came home. And it was like, it was beyond devastating. Um, did the funeral. But Mike went back and he gutted it out and he finished that fucking program, man. And, you know, we all traveled out there about five months later for his graduation, his RCMP graduation. And uh, seeing him in that outfit, man, marching around, you know, my dad would have been so proud. It was just this incredible moment. Um, but it just, the whole thing just kind of came full circle. Mike got to the place he needed to be, you know, using the lessons that my dad instilled in him in the, in the time that he had with them. And it was just, it was, it was an incredible moment. So he's part of the family, man. He's a full, he's a full, uh, full fledged member. That's 
incredible. Uh, he, he said so many reasons. It's your, your family, but so many people judge others and, you know, so now myself, I've just seen it. I've worked with, uh, you know, kids from Northern Labrador that needed a shot. Yeah. And, uh, you know, all, all they needed was an opportunity. And some of them, you know, we just gave it to them and, and they're still running with it. But a lot of people see those kind of kids when they're really young and they might judge them. I mean, can you imagine judging Mike on his worst day when he was growing yeah. up? That kind of, yeah. those kind of people. Um, anyway, that's a great, that's a great story. It says so much. Uh, so, um, you must, it goes without saying, uh, obviously you miss your dad. Uh, is the family, <laughs> Mike is doing all right. And, uh, does the family still get together as much as you guys used to? Yeah. Well, <clears throat> the running joke now, and you know, my mom will get pissed at me for saying this and making this joke is he doesn't touch base enough. He's really bad at staying connected. So the brothers and I are having a meeting and we might downgrade him to a cousin. <laughs> We're not sure. Uh, I'm kidding. I'm completely joking about that. He will forever be a Rashad brother, but uh, yeah, you know, everybody's doing good, man. We're a really tight unit. Like he's out in Kelowna now. He's been an RCMP officer out there for a number of years. Um, my brother Rick's in town with me. Rob's here in Calgary. Um, we're really close. And uh, as hard as it was losing dad when we did, um, you know, we got a big family, lots of love, big family. And we rallied through it. Mom's come through it. You know, she's found some measure of happiness again, which we're absolutely thrilled to see. And so, yeah, man, it's a grind. You know, that's that's why I, you know, I, I when I was looking at some of your stuff and I followed along closely with everything you've been up to, you know, I, I see you involving your, your dad a lot in your projects and stuff. And uh, it makes me smile because my dad would have never been on camera. Like that's not, I'm not saying he would have done that, but he would have had a real appreciation for this different kind of content that I'm doing now, right? This podcast and this, this other stuff. And I see you involving your dad and your projects. And, uh, and I just think it's great. I love the relationship that's clearly there. And I love the fact that you're getting him involved. He seems like an absolute beauty and, uh, you know, hopefully a long, 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 long time from now, you're going to look back on these memories you're making now. And it's, it's going to be pretty awesome for you. I'm glad you have that. It is. It's great. And my dad, it's because I can identify. That's why it, it, it really hits home because my dad is the same type of person. My parents are the same type of people. There's been, you know, my, my experience growing up is that if they're friends and then as I get older, my friends, if anybody ever needed a couch, you know, and for months on end, sometimes it was just like, I, I'm glad I was raised like that because it makes you not take shit for granted, you know, and, and, and just yeah. in this world, it's so easy with all everything. We got all the technology and, you know, we're, we're in a bubble, man. And it's just nice to see that, that emotion. I didn't know that I'd heard the story. And we briefly talked about it, but I, I didn't know it to that level. Um, yeah. Now, listen, I, I, you know what? So it says I got to upgrade my Zoom. I'm at six minutes and 30 seconds. That could be, that could be why the technical problems, though. And I, yeah. I just so I've got six minutes left. I'm going to ask you one more question. And then we got rapid fire randoms and I'm going to load up again. And we've done 10 minutes. Is that all right? Yeah, buddy, I'm, I'm I, all the time you need today. We're on an off day here in the series, so I'm kind of just uh, hanging out at the hotel anyways. Whatever you need, my friend. Okay, well, last question for this uh, short round or the, this long round. Uh, you got six minutes. 
I'm curious, you go to BC, what happened over there with the journalism? Like, did you get started over there on some local, you know, or, or did you start blogging and then you transplant? You see me in Edmonton in my memory pretty early. Like, what was yeah. the... You know what I did? Uh, it was a two-year program. So I went there for year one. And uh, I came back to Kamloops in the summer because there was a news internship. So I was like rating, I was reading radio news. And a job came open at the TV station in Kamloops. I was like, well, I might as well apply for that. So I applied for it. I got the job. So I was through one year of school. I got a full-time job on TV in Kamloops. I was like, well, what the hell? So I talked to my professor. He's like, well, of course you're going to take the job. Like you would come back to school for what? To go try and get that job, like get, take the damn job. Wow. So I took the job, but TR, the, the crazy thing was I was covering the team that I played on 16 months before. So now I'm like local reporter showing up at the rink, like, Hey, like interview time, time for me to interview you player that I know everything about. Like it was, it was weird. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I was like, Mr. Reporter on the scene covering the Kamloops Blazers. All my buddies were still on the team. Uh, and I learned to do TV. I was young. I was like 21 years old, full-time job in TV. You know, it was my big comeback after my kind of wah, wah, my hockey career. Now I'm on TV, you know, young, cocky. Like it was just, hey, boom, let's do this. And uh, so I, uh, yeah, I spent a year working in Kamloops, covering the Kamloops Blazers for CFJC TV with Earl the Pearl Sites. Wow. So yeah. then, okay, and... Finally, what, what was the transition to Edmonton after that? So uh, I was really aggressive in my like career management. I was always like getting tapes out there and trying to get to the next step and trying to get to the next step. I was always really good at getting myself out there, which is important in our industry. Uh, so there was a job opening at Edmonton and I was like, oh, I, I, at, the, at the age channel. So my dad and I jumped in my two-door white Pontiac Sunfire, which by the way, uh, my buddies told me when I bought it, they said, mark our words, you will never see another male driving one of these. <laughs> and to this day, TR, uh, I, yeah, uh, they were bang on. I don't know what I was thinking. It was like, I finally had a full-time job. That's what I went and bought, a two-door white Pontiac Sunfire. Maybe, maybe it's a Sherwood Park thing. Mark and Mike, really my buddies, that was what they, they had a blue. And a, buddies, yeah. They both played in Tri-Cities. That's that. Uh, the Anyways, sun yeah, the sun I don't know what it was. And with the uh, souped-up stereo and everything, too. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? Take the back seat Anyways. out, practical, and just make it one big... Yeah, let so her rip, man. Yeah, just I let her buck in the sunfire. I thought I was hot shit. And then I, my buddies told me that. I was like, kind of looking around like, oh, yeah, I think you might be right about that. Anyway, uh, Sudbury, I'll, I'll skip the Edmonton story. Got a job in Sudbury, Ontario. Hopped in my car, drove across the country set on the scene to work at uh, MCTV in Sudbury, put in 10 months there, uh, took a job in Saskatoon, uh, put in five months there, uh, got a call one day that there was an opening in Edmonton, um, flew down for an interview, they hired me on the spot, that was CF, uh, CFRN, uh, did the six o'clock sports there, uh, three years, and then Ken Chilebeck retired. And uh, slid into his spot at TSN, and that was 2004. So I'm, uh, oh, 18 years or so at TSN now for the network. So it was kind of like quick stops, right? A year, ten months, five months, couple of years, and then and then to the network. That is super interesting, and 
full circle. And, you know, I, I've talked to a lot of reporters, not a lot say that they grabbed the mic at six and seven years old. So clearly that was in you and you had a good voice for it. You sound like a natural. And uh, I think that's really, really interesting uh, because without going too far and making it my story, I mean, I, I knew Red Fisher as much as I knew Gila Fleur, right? Like when I, when I was a kid, I really looked, I don't know what it now, I didn't foresee my, but there's something I saw in the reporters. Like when I looked at the TV, Jim Van Horn was as much an idol of mine as Rick Tockett, or, you know, like he, he, he was up there. I, like I remember wanting to yeah. meet those people. And I'm not sure if there was an ultimate, because they were conducting the interview. And to me, a good back and forth, a good communicator was, you know, as swift yep. as Wayne Gretzky skating up the ice, but I was really into creative writing and everything. And I, I don't, I don't know. I'm just connecting those dots as I get older, but I kind of see what you mean. I don't know if I saw myself in that position as much as I really looked up to the reporters and screwed around sometimes, but that's a very interesting comment and uh, no fluke to see you are where you are. Now I got rapid fire randoms. I'm going to send you an email in uh, two seconds and we'll finish it out. I promise you no more than 15 more. Is that all right? No. Hey buddy, I got all the time in the world for you. I'm going to milk you for all your worth on my podcast too. (laughs) (laughs) Quid pro quo. I think they call that. Yeah, they do. Okay. Ryan Rashad, are you ready for rapid fire randoms? Yeah, let's do it. Good. You had to turn that key. You're you're ready. You're sitting back wondering. Is this X-rated in any way? Like, is this is this listenable by my mother? Or make it X-rated if you want. Are you going to make it X-rated? I'm more concerned about your ability to make it X-rated than my ability to my pension too. X-rated in a way. uh, Well, it's definitely not. It's morbid. Your death row meal. You've just gone out and you've gone back. In this, there's a there's a multiverse in this parallel universe. Your old self goes into Kamloops and you are pissed off and you're like, you know what? I should have made it the second year and been on the first line and you murder. The, uh, the the brass and the coach. Now you're going to jail. You get one last meal. What would it be? Uh, one last meal, probably. Honestly, if this is going to be lame, probably a really good pizza. Just a really, really good high end pizza. I love pizza, buddy. Like, I love it. And it's just the worst for you. I love it too. Oh, it's so bad for you. In fact, when we finish here, I'm going to go for lunch with my brother Rob. Uh, I've just decided I'll be ordering pizza. Nice. Just now. Good. I didn't even have to kill anybody and I get pizza. Uh, (laughs) I'm glad to influence that. Uh, The Oilers have to change their name. Every team in the league in this world. I'm not saying it's an Eskimos thing where they have to. I'm saying the Oilers, well, yeah, they have to, but it's not politically driven or anything. It's just like the Oilers are changing their name. What? You you get one. You get the pick. You're Ryan Rashog. You won the competition. A fan gets the win. Gets to name the Oilers. What is it? Well, I'm not a fan, first of all. I'm media, and I don't cheer, and I don't care if they win or lose. So my answer might be different than what a fan's would be. How about the Edmonton? Just that is a great answer. Yeah, I'll just go with, how about the Edmonton, you know, just stick with us. This can't possibly go on much longer. (laughs) And followed it up valiantly. Superpower. (laughs) What would your superpower be? Oh, buddy, I would want to fly. 
I think. I, isn't that what most people say? I would want to fly. Like, I mean, listen. How could you not want to fly? I mean, right. Would I love to sneeze thousand dollar bills? Yes, but that's not a superpower. Like when you say I superpower, I think like I could make money shoot out of the ends of my fingers. I don't think that's what you mean. You mean the core superpowers. I like so I don't want to sh- all possibilities, but I mean the core ones, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, like I don't want to shoot lasers out of my eyes and slice you in half. Right. Yeah. I don't want to like conjure up a lightning storm. I want to fly. Get me up there with the birds. I'm going to rip around. And just curious, where would I, I, I was trying to think the other night as I was writing these nibbling on a weed gummy. What Elastic Man was around, right? Like Elastic Man was a thing. He hasn't come out. I don't know if it's DC or Marvel or what no. it is. But no. Elastic Man, and, and who would want, like, why? I think you could play why? that role, bud. He was elastic. But how elastic was he? Like, how far can your arm go that you did yeah. break into, like, did, did he, did he, like, literally break into buildings because he could reach his hand around, like, all the way around, like how, how just the extent to which he was actually elastic. Cause if you think about it, like, let's say a piece of gum, right? You take a piece of gum and if you pull that thing, it's going to go, but eventually it's going to run out of material. It's going to get thin and it's going to fall in half. And if elastic man fell in half that way, if he got stretched too far, would he regenerate or would he just be left with an elastic nub? I always wondered, like matter is still matter. I mean, in this world, okay, he's elastic. We bought into that. You have to suspend belief, but As you're suspending that very belief, it's, it's, do we also act like there's more substance to his arm than there is? You can only stretch it so far. And then what yeah. would be the advantage if it was a spaghetti noodle? What you know what, I think? Okay. Yeah, what kind of leverage can you generate with a with an elastic arm that's like 50, 60, 70, 80 feet out there? Like can you still if you could if you could bench, you know, an 80 as elastic man if you weren't being elasticized. Can yeah. you bench an 80 when you're stretched out like that? Or is it basically just a limp noodle that just kind of flops around on the other end? I and don't think it should have the leverage at the far end that it does at the shoulder joint. Now, and, and an elastic man can't be ripped. He must be just like, like imagine like your appeal. Part of being yeah. a superhero is just loving your body, I guess. I mean, and, and what, you can do with it. what you can do with it, at least Superman and Batman, and you know, just go down the list. The Flash, they all yeah. are. But elastic man, did yeah. the, the whole premise is hopefully you're not too solid you know you got to be oh, exactly how elastic are you if you just rip and shred it i think elastic man i could see him oh, no. being really if you think about it it wouldn't be like this tall skinny guy right it would probably be this like really compact fat dude with like big sausagey limbs because yeah. if you start stretching that thing out it's going to have further to go where if you're a big lanky guy you pull that arm and you just don't have as far to go. So I think I think you're on to something. Elastic Man should be played by a more portly actor that is not really that able to get around. He should just basically be like a cinder block until he needs to kick into action. And then he just spreads out and becomes normal. I absolutely agree 100%. We need to co-write shit. You and I need to co-write some stuff because you've got your ins on acting. You could get these scripts in front of people. That's true. Nowadays, you know, Ant-Man, I never would have thought it's going to happen. And not only is it out there, it was pretty good. I think we need to take this to Kiso. I'm putting something on paper. We're going straight to Kiso. You know what? Great. We we do. We have a slight link to people that can actually do that. Uh, you get a time machine. You get to go back anywhere. You know, it doesn't have to be back. It can be forward. Time machine, round trip. You're not going to affect time or another university. Right. The butterfly no effect. butterfly effect, you're saying. No butterfly no, effect. You okay. just go 
see yeah. where we are or go back to the dinosaurs, go back. You, you like the Wild West, yeah. have a beer with Billy the Kid, whatever you want. Where would I go? Uh, oh, that's a good question. How much time am I spending there? Are we like like 10 minutes or are we like oh, two weeks? You can go for as long as you want. Really? Real time. Mm. If you go for five years, you're going to be five years older. But in this world, yeah, you can go and you can go as long as you want. By the way, this pisses people off about me. Whenever they ask me questions like this, I answer back with like eight or nine different questions trying to narrow down what the parameters are. And it, it doesn't work for a rapid fire format. I'm basically pooching your rapid fire format. This is just a conversation now. I like it. It starts in a crazy place anyway. The more you talk, you, you sometimes you do land at the idea that Aquaman really should be bigger, right? That yeah. That's something yeah. logic got us there. It's a weird way, method that we got there. But no, I like analyzing. Okay, so I probably would go... I would probably go back to the Wild West to just see what that was actually like. Go to one of those towns... You know, go to a saloon just to see how surreal the whole thing was. But I probably wouldn't spend much time there because uh, it feels like things were sketchy back then. And a lot of times you weren't sure where your next meal was coming from. And I wouldn't do well in that. So it'd be a two hour visit to the Wild West. And you it's sketchy back then. I was thinking about it the other day, you know, watching one of these Ken Burns things. They all they all come together, right? Like the yep. baseball is tied in with the civil war that is tied in with the world second world war, like in some way, either thematically or, or by topic or whatever it would be. It all seems to teach you about anything going on in that era. Like if you watch the baseball, you will find out a lot about pop culture at the time, you know, yes. you, you know, that I find it all very interesting. Um, but the, you know, it, it was talking about people that settled the West. I believe that was, and I'm going, wow. Like, a lot of people, at least in Newfoundland, say that that came from Europe, at least the European settlers, because there was lots of people here. Um, you know, they, they it, it's weird. It's probably it's a big chance enough, like getting on that boat and coming over. And then you had oh. you know, the, the, the whole eastern seaboard, you know, starts to get populated. Uh, and then of that group, a tiny portion with families and stuff, they, yeah. they go. They don't know what's there. Like they, they just go. They're they're. They're heading Off out, you go. hoping for the best in the unknown territory. Hostile. We'll see territory. what happens. Yeah, yeah. No, you get off. You get off the boat, and it's like, hey, who's hungry? You need to go kill something before you can actually eat anything meaningful. Can you imagine that? I, like, I would not last. I would not last two days. I would not last. I would be the first guy that was I no longer able to function. Crazier that if, right now, if we went to Mars, we kind of know what's there. There's at least when it comes to yep. the forms, or we, we have you know, an idea that we're not going to get attacked. Imagine just getting in a wagon with your family going, yeah, we're just going that way. And we know it's hostile territory for a lot of reasons that are justified. And so, you know, and not only that, not only with other humans we might come across, but with bears or lions or tigers or dragons. We don't know. You don't we even know what you're supposed to be scared of. There's just a bunch of, you don't even know what might come get you. There's just stuff that guaranteed will. Uh, I, I would not have been built in any way, shape or form to be a pioneer TR. I am, I am so butter soft that I, they were made out of different stuff back then. And if I were in charge of things, man, uh, we'd have turned the boat around, you know, a day and a half in because, you know, yeah. uh, I don't like having road games. I need my home bowl. No heat or light back then. I just would have gone. I just, however, the transportation just gone south. As soon as I saw sandy beaches like this all year, whatever North Carolina, wherever that starts, 
That's yeah. where I am. That's it. And Just, I'm good. Yeah. It's all about good, yeah. who's your favorite comedian ever. Uh, oh, favorite comedian ever. Uh, you know, this has recently changed for me. I've developed a real appreciation for Bill Burr, like real high end appreciation for Bill Burr because he's walking a fine line. Yeah. It's not an easy time and place to be a comedian, right? As a veteran comedian, I'm sure you can identify with that TR. Uh, it's, it's not an easy time to be a comedian and he has this unbelievable way of walking a line. Um, and I think he, 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 he understands where he needs to be careful, but he just kills it in the other spots. Uh, I love his podcast. Your podcast reminds me a lot of his, just a guy with a microphone bullshitting. And, uh, and I like that, uh, because he's got lots of personality as do you. So Bill Burr, best combination of podcaster personality, great material, uh, he is an actor as well. It's done a great job on some big, big films. Uh, he is like a quadruple threat. How about you? Thanks for the compliment. I listen to Bill Burr a lot. He's probably, yeah, maybe. Am I ever George Carlin? There you go. Observational. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Uh, but but his, uh, Bill, Bill Burr is observational as well. I like that in this world of extremes, he treads the line, which is not easy to do. And, and nowadays... Yeah. Meetings are getting a very, very hard time. It's tough to go out there and give your opinion, which should be, is crazy to me, given yep. the, the premise of the whole thing. I mean, they're comedians. Uh, but anyway, I, I love that he does that, and he explains it in a human way, whereby you can be Republic de- Democrat, you could be uh, conservative liberal, you can go to a show, and you can kind of see the humanity and where he's coming from. And I think he, he, he is a bridge that a lot of... You know, the left can, can talk to the right because they have Bill Burr in common. They're yes. using those things, you know? Um, Completely agree. He's He is uh, an equal opportunity uh, asshole to both sides. And I think that's yeah. meaningful. He can see he, he'll beat the crap out of one side and he'll beat the crap out of the other. He'll find the beauty in both. And then he'll be the guy standing there saying, figure out which one I am. And I'm not sure what he is, which probably means he's doing a good job. I agree. For $432 million. Yep. You have to take your leg off and get a transplanted with a big ostrich leg. You have oh. to wear a cape permanently, and you have to laugh at your own jokes hysterically. Those are three things, and you can't say why. You can't tell anybody. It's for, as far as they know, you've turned into an ostrich leg cape-wearing weirdo that got lots of money in the bank. Why? Okay, well, well, let's be honest about what I, you honestly turn into, right? Uh I just stopped telling jokes. I mean, you could fix that there. So I'll take that one off the table. You basically lose, either have to choose between looking like a complete idiot or just not being funny anymore. So I would probably just choose not to be funny anymore. So now I'm just left with uh, the ostrich leg and the, what was the other one? Cape, always. You always have that cape. An ostrich leg with a cape. My brother's sitting in the room here because we're going for lunch after and he can't hear anything you're saying. He's just hearing my answers and he's looking at me like, what the actual is going on? Like, what is happening? Uh, $432 million, Rob. Uh, You have to have an ostrich leg and wear a cape and laugh hysterically at all your own jokes for the rest of your life. Um, Yeah, I can I can make a lot of positive changes in my life. I mean, other people's lives with four hundred and thirty two million dollars, (laughs) buddy. I think I'm taking that deal. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, You have another time machine. So in this world, you came across not one, but two time machines. Two time machines in one lifetime. That's amazing. Okay, you have to go back and accept a meeting with Genghis Khan. Okay. Oh, and he's he's upset, except. He doesn't know that you can bring a gun or whatever. You can bring fire. You, you can try to impress him. You can literally come back with a lighter 
light something on fire and probably have everybody think you're a god. But it's not way, way, way back where it's cavemen and they can't communicate. This is Genghis Khan. He's got it out for you. A, what's your approach when you walk into the, because he's not, he's going to hear you out. He's not, you, you, you got a meeting with him. He's in a throne, whatever. And you walk in. A, what do you say? B, and what do you do? B, who do you bring? You get two people from your life. It could be hockey teammates. It could be family, whatever you get there. Jeez, man. You are literally twisting my brain into pretzels with these questions. Like, who in the Sam hell thinks of these things? How many gummies did you have the other day? I I do them the night before a podcast. (laughs) Well, you should have told me. I would have done some before I had to answer these. Like, geez. (laughs) Uh, Okay. I would say my approach, my approach would probably be to try and impress him with something that he can help himself with. So I would present, like, I feel like you're just trying not to die. I yeah. feel like, you know, if, if, yeah, if you can show him something that he would look at and be like, hmm, that can help me uh, now. But at the same time, I don't want to empower him in a way that's going to make him even more ruthless and powerful than he already was. Um, so I think I would probably, I don't know, maybe I would just show him the Internet. <laughs> just yeah. be like, hey, man, check this out. This is the World Wide Web, Genghis. And, and yeah, have him fall right into that. You'd have him in the palm of your hand. Yeah, you I might take you. I might take you with me too, Tr. Just because if if I didn't know what to say, something tells me you'd be able to sweet talk us out of any situation. So I would take you. Yeah, you and let's say Struds because we got good chemistry on Got Your Back. So the three of us going. First of all, Genghis Khan would always give you a chance to live if you joined his side. So that's one oh, thing. Was that his deal? That was his deal. He was, and not only that, when a soldier died, he took care of the family. A little bit of insurance. That's good. Yeah. Wait a minute, though. We just got to survive the conversation to get back in our time machine, though, right? Like, we're not trying to become part of the guy's tribe. Trying not to die is all. So I just trying not to die. And at first, he thinks you're an enemy. So if I could get to the point that I'm joining his side, I suppose I'm going to do that. And I I only because I'm listening to a podcast on Genghis Khan now popped into my head. I found that was fascinating. Of course, it's pretentious to think that everybody. Oh well, of course, Genghis Khan captured his, but his enemies and gave them a chance. You know, I'm not trying to be that guy. Yep. I just was. Okay. You have to walk across <laughs> Canada, survivor man lo- mode, eat off the land, right? You gotta, you gotta go one side to the other, which yeah, two isn't people, going well. You need to bring two people. Who do you bring? Two people. I would bring, uh, my cousin Clayton, um, because he is annoyingly smart and industrious knows it he's an engineer so he knows how smart he is and he's not afraid to let everybody know Uh, but really 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 smart really industrious so i would probably bring him and then uh, actually it's going to sound lame because he's here in the room with me but i would probably bring my brother rob with me as well because he is uh one of those people that's a calming influence you know those people that are just good to have around like when they're around you just feel like everything's going to be okay I would be in a constant panic in that situation. So I would need Clayton to provide for me and I would need Rob to keep me level-headed and I might last a couple of days. Okay. Good answers. Uh, On that exact trip, you get to bring three movies, two TV shows and one album. Three movies. Uh, Okay. Three movies. I'm going Anchorman because you need a laugh, right? You need a laugh at night. Um, I would probably go, um, Oh, what's the Leonardo DiCaprio one where they're bending space and time and going back inception inception? No, is that what it is? Inception. Oh yes, it is. Yeah. 
spectacular movie. Like just an absolute mind bending marvel. Just Loved it. It's been my, one of my favorite movies for yeah. Bend your mind around in a pretzel. Yeah. Yeah. Off the charts. Good. So uh, Anchorman, Inception. And then, you know what? I'll out myself a little bit here, I think. But it's nostalgia for me because our dad took us to all the movies when we were kids and stuff like that. I would probably go with a second star Empire Strikes Back. I would probably go with. I'm a Star Wars nerd. Interesting. And you have one. What was the other two? Two TV shows. TV shows? Oh, TV shows. I would go... uh, Oh, I would go um, the one with Jason Bateman. I, the name is escaping me now. The really, really good one that he, he and Will Arnett did together. Arrested Development. I'd go Arrested Development, and I would probably... What's that? That's my favorite show ever. Yeah, I would go Arrested Development, and I would go Succession. I love Succession. I think it is off the charts, one of the best shows on TV that not enough people talk about. It is. And now you get an album. Bare Naked Ladies Gordon. My mom, uh, when I moved to Kamloops in grade 10, I was sad. I'd left all my friends. I pretended to be sick one day because I wanted to stay home from school. And my mom knew I was playing hooky. And she popped her head into my room before she left for work. And she said, is there anything I can do to make you feel better today? And I said, oh, there's a new Bare Naked Ladies album out. Maybe I could grab that. And she was like, okay. And she came home at lunch and she handed me the CD. And she never asked a question about whether I was sick or not. And that became the soundtrack to me uh, adjusting to that move and getting over leaving all my friends. So that uh, that album to me is right close to my heart. Great answer. I love when personal stories are tied in. You're going to dinner and a movie and you get to take one of these people. Uh, you're in a limo. You get to talk to them and hang out, have beers, whatever it would be. You're yeah. hanging out all night. Sly Stallone, Justin Bieber, Luka Doncic. Or Juan Vicente Perez, the oldest man on earth. I'm going to get killed for... Uh, who was the first one? Sly Stallone. Yeah, I'd probably take Sly. I think he'd be... I th- I'd just like to pick that guy's brain a little bit. Um, Bieber be would be a close second for me. Honestly, Bieber would be a close second. Not many people have lived the life that he has lived. And I would love to have an honest conversation with Justin Bieber about I'd like to go reporter mode with Justin Bieber and really dig in on some stuff in a meaningful way. Uh, so the reporter in me, the curious guy in me would, would probably go Justin Bieber. I'm going to get killed for that answer, but I'm sticking with it. It, it would be incredibly interesting, of course. Uh, the aliens have landed. OK, the aliens have landed okay. to disintegrate our planet or or. They're going to let us be and come back in another 20,000 years. The old, yeah. Your own past, they're saying, make me dance. You get to pick one song. You, it, uh, humanity lies on your shoulders. If you can't make them dance with a song, you can just press play, not, not like make them dance yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man. Is, is resting on it. Yeah, that is a lot of pressure to pick a song, pick on a song. I mean, I know what I, I know what always makes me want to kind of get up and move a little bit, but I don't know if that's what the aliens, I'd probably have to assess what they look like. Right. It could be that Gangnam style. It could be whoop, there it is. Like, oh. you know, those are overplayed in our mind. They must uh, be for some reason. Like, oh, your job is to get them to dance. Now, of course, you shook me all night long, could, could get them dancing. No. Or, you know. No. And this is going to tie in. My Justin Bieber answer, it's kind of on brand for me, the answer I'm going to give here. And, and a lot of people will roll their eyes and I'll lose a lot of street cred here. 
I'm going to go, uh, what's that Justin Timberlake song? Uh, can't fight the feeling or can't stop the feeling or. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was a really catchy sort of dance tune that he came up with a few years ago. Yeah. Oh, was that what it's from? Is it from a movie? It's from one of those cartoons. Peanuts. Yeah, yeah. Not that, but it's from something. Yeah. Yeah. So basically what you've surmised here is that I want to interview Justin Bieber and make aliens dance with Justin Timberlake. So I've got a, apparently I have a boy band issue. You have on Sundays, you're almost, you're almost done. On Sundays, the rest of your life, you have to make an animal noise. You want to talk, but all you can make is an animal noise. What noise is that? You uh, know, what would it uh, be? I think, I, I don't think I would go annoying. As funny as it would be to, to go with something annoying, I, I, I think I would probably veer away from it being too insanely annoying. So, um, if you want neighbors, you can't piss them off all day. Yeah, you can't piss them off. I mean, like a cow moo would, would not make any sense. I think that would just be, that'd be too aggressive. You know, there's something kind of elegant about when a horse is subtle about it. Like not the big, like the big horse noise, but the more chill, just the, just that horse noise. There's something elegant and powerful about that. So I would. You 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 could grunt even like there's no way that moo could mean anything, but I yeah. think you're right. I've never thought of that. The horse, just that little gruff, like you know, like yeah. I, you could really convey what you meant. Yeah, I I think that's the one. I, you, you want you want it to be a combination of powerful, classy. I think that the horse, the subtle horse neigh. Is the only answer to that. And you can change question. the tone. Where a frog yeah. rivets rivet. You can't change the tone of that. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's not much you can do with a frog. Yeah. But with the horse can definitely change the tone. You can tell when a horse is pissed off at you. Um okay, you're almost done. Have you surfed? Yes, I have surfed. There's actually a picture that exists of me, TR, of me, my only time surfing, where I am the surf. You can see the surfboard. I am completely upside down, and there is not a centimeter of me that is either on the surfboard nor in the water, and I am completely upside down. It's really, it's it's a feat of photography that that was captured. Is this is this in on your Instagram? You oh, I don't know. It might be. I, I'm not very active on Instagram. My wife might have put it there. You got to see it. I got to see this. Okay. Uh, send it to you. So 13 million a year. Okay. You're going to get $13 million a year. Okay. 13 million a year. Yeah. And this one's very simple. Okay. I don't have to amputate anything. You know, what you have to do is for the rest of your life, wherever you go, you always have to be in possession of an apple and a penis. It could be a dildo. It could be, it could be like a, a, a fake penis. It could be, a, you know, knit. But you always, always, always have to have a little bag or whatever you know, or you could hold them in your hands if you want. But you always have to have an apple and a penis, and you can't tell anybody why. You're the guy that goes around with an apple and a penis, right? And you can't say what. So I know what you're going to say it's 13 million a year, but still, there's something to be said for people thinking you're batshit crazy. And okay, but again, I have a couple of questions here because I want to make sure I get the right answer because this is important stuff you're throwing at me. Am I allowed to like, so it's allowed to be in a bag? Like I can just carry around a bag or do I have to have one in each hand unless I have a reason not to? You can carry around a bag because at some point people are going to ask you what's in it. And you you know, you're, you're naked. You're, you're, 
you're going to come across people at some point and they're going to ask you and you're going to be that guy and five years is going to go by and you're like what you know like did you hefner really have yeah you know a tusk of a giant boar in his bedroom yeah. you know i think i, I think that if 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 it's versatile enough that I can carry them in a bag and that if I need to engage in some meaningful way in life, I can set the bag down, right? Like if I need to do something that requires, you know, I have to carry the bag anytime I'm not doing anything, but I can set the bag down when I am for 13 million. This might be one of those things that slowly over a number of years actually drives you batshit crazy to the point where you can't take it anymore. That might like like the water drops on the head, yeah. But I'd be willing to take that chance for thirteen million a year. So yes, apple and a penis on me at all times uh, for thirteen million a year. I would do. And okay, just so we're clear, we're not we're not. There's not much leeway on laying the bag down. Like you can't lay the bag down and play a game of hockey. You can yeah. figure out a way to tuck the apple and the penis into your pants, right? Yeah, this I bag gotta have it on me at all times. The bag can go down, yes, but the apple and the penis are always on you. Okay. This what about when I'm doing TV? Like, what when I got to do a stand up or I got to like host something or do my job? You have the stuff you're doing on TV. You can't see your shoes. I don't know what shoes you're wearing. You probably did your, you know, those zillions in your pajamas. You, right. The apple and the penis are all set. Exactly. You got to think about it. It's 13 million a year. You ain't going to be yeah. doing TV, my friend. You're the guy with an apple and a penis at all times. You're not. Yeah, that's true. I could quit my TV job at 13. Yeah. Yeah. No, you know what, TR? It's compelling. And uh, and I don't think there's a person on this planet that shouldn't have to answer that question because it's that important. Uh, I would take the 13 million and I would take the apple and the penis on me at all times. OK, good answer. And glad we got there. Last question. Last question. That wasn't the last question. How is that not your last question? This gets weirder. <laughs> it certainly does. And this one's way out of left field. No, I'm kidding. Okay, so. Our Zoom call's running out. I got to go. <laughs> okay so all-time team this is the most regular question of all of them okay, all-time team but 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 listen you can't have anybody named gretzky lemieux how or they can't be a montreal canadian or an edmonton oh God. you're killing me with this no oilers no canadians no gretzky so the, the first four are and you could say the first four are generally uh, Gretzky, you know, Lemieux yeah. or how, right? And then so I can't more. go, I can't even go, like I can't go Oilers, so I can't go McDavid. No. And nobody from Pittsburgh, you said no penguins? No, you can use penguins. I said no okay. Maryland. The only two teams are the Oilers and because it's usually the Canadians, but I know that because I do ask this one as, as the last question almost every time. So, but, but you know, you, I know that you're going to be biased towards Edmonton, or at least I don't want you to be. So there's no, no. Other either. Buddy, you're killing me with this because I, well, my brain doesn't work well this way. Uh, want me to tell you who I picked? Yeah, I mean Crosby's on my team, right? I, I would definitely go Crosby. Is he on yeah. your team? Yeah, I, I, I believe. I'm trying to think. I, I know. I think I went Eisenman. I think I, I mean Lidstrom's Crosby. on my team. I think Nick Lidstrom's one of the top. Lidstrom was on mine. I had Lidstrom, yep. Niedermeyer, Pronger. I couldn't pick. So I can't yeah. remember who the two were, but that, that was my three. Yeah. And, and in what era does the game need to be played, I think, is another question, right? Sorry. I, I just, this is what I do. I keep firing back rapid-fire questions at you. It's, this is what I, it's where my brain works. And Pronger, I guess Pronger did play on the Oilers. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. That, that would disqualify him. 
Yeah, that would. Um, you know, this this game is going to be played. That's a fantastic question. In what era? And against whom, might I ask? This game is being played in 1998. Okay. So clutching and grabbing is allowed. Right. Pronger can do his Pronger thing and just decimate people. Uh, yeah, Pronger would probably be there for me. I mean, Lidstrom and uh, Pronger, like that D pairing right there. You know, you go Crosby up front. Uh, poosh, you know, like you're, you're, you're getting there. Crosby, Messier, but Messier in your world doesn't exist in this, but I went Crosby, Messier, Eisenman. And of course, I know I picked multiple centers, but whatever, they're good. One can play them. Yeah, I mean, let's play. throw. Let's like I don't know. Is it lame of me to just say like, is there a better left winger you'd want for that game than Ovi? I mean, let's let's throw Ovi That's in there. Great answer. I had to struggle with that one myself. Yeah. Yeah. Let's throw Ovi in there just because. And then you know you got Crosby in there. You got Prongery. You got Lidstrom. I mean, and then who was your last one? You had a couple Oilers. Ovi's fantastic because it's the first time I've ever named a year, and I think I'd love to see him play in 1998. Oh, my goodness. Not every player from now, I think, would be successful, but I think he would be all in and more. He, you he know, would, he would, oh, I'm going to go to. Because just imagine him uh, opposite side uh, of Ovi. I'm going to go Eric Lindros. Eric Lindros. I was just – words were coming out of my mouth. Yep. Wow. Imagine that because they are more similar than the, the, the straight-up thought would, would suggest. When you yeah. think deeper into it, they both shoot right. They're both around the same size. Yeah. They, I mean, obviously, superior player and shooter is Ovechkin, but or before he got hurt, man, Lindros in his prime. I don't know. Oh, so good. So so good. good. That's a whole ridiculous. Other he was next level. He was like he was next level. And you know what's funny is by today's standards, like what is he six four? Yeah. Did it not feel like he was about six foot ten? It did. It felt, and he was just a truck. He was my. It was my first game. Was against Philly. I had to go out and play against the Legion of Doom. Him, yeah. Claire, and and, and Rembrandt, just huge. And uh, yeah. and uh, not only that, can you remember? You're a little bit younger. Oh, no, you're around the same age. Right? Same age, buddy. Okay, so 1991. He played on the Canada Cup team, and he was a junior player. Yeah, and, and he was an impact. He was like third in scoring. And he everybody over and. We were used to seeing Lemieux and Gretzky, like an Eisman, if you want to go by extension, LaFontaine, I can go Bossier. I can argue who's like two to 10 or three to 10, but Lemieux and Gretzky. And I still say relative dominance. I don't care what anybody else does. I hope Connor McDavid wins 10 in a row, but the boys were way better. They had the scoring one five games in, and I don't care if 50 points wins it or 300. It was a crazy, you knew it was going to be Lemieux or Gretzky. And in comes Lindros, who yeah. was scoring like that and Rolling people, it was credible. You watch, yeah. right? Yeah, and he, and he could hurt people when he fought too. Like he didn't do it a lot. He wasn't great at it, but he was just so strong. I mean, man, yeah. he could just he could just be like he was punching through the back of guys' heads too. So he was he was. It, it is one of the great shames in the last thirty years in our game that Eric Lindros didn't get to have a more fulsome and meaningful career where all of the skills and attributes that he had weren't able to be fleshed out over an appropriate amount of time. It's one of the great shames in our game because he, I mean, his legacy already is what it is, but uh, it would be a meaningful mark, a more meaningful mark that he would have left. I agree. And people a little bit younger than us remember he, he loved hockey so much and the whole life that he came back and played three or four extra years. He was average, but it wasn't yeah. Eric Cross. And yeah. a lot of people remember that. I'm like, geez, my buddy was talking with him the other day on my senior hockey team. He's about 33. He said, well, he wasn't great with Dallas. I was like, oh, gee, I forgot he even played in Dallas, man. Yeah, you're just reminding me of that now. I'm talking yeah. Philly. 
right? I'm, I'm going like, wow, he took him to the final. It's hard to win in this era of 30-odd teams. Yeah. But, uh, you know, 26, I think, at the time. But he, he took the team and he, he made the final. He was MVP that year, lockout year. Anyway, as good a time as any to say thank you. Uh, what I did, Ryan, I forgot to get to this. So this is what we're going to do. People um, that are listening, uh, you, you'll enjoy Ryan's podcast, Got Your Back. And what I'd like to do, Ryan, is talk about 29 forever. It's very important. Yes. We didn't talk about it. I mean, you can sum it up now if you'd like. I, 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 I yeah. No, I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, no, it was uh, obviously the, the, the you know, being assigned to cover that, you know, what had happened a few years ago was, uh, you know, it was a, it was a difficult assignment. And, uh, you know, I was there the day after the accident happened. I was there right through it, probably went back and forth to Humboldt 10, 12 times over the next couple of years, got to know many of the families, uh, many people in the community, uh, some of the most meaningful relationships I've ever experienced through my work. And, uh, you know, too much to sum up here in, in a short period of time. But what I'll say is that we produced a documentary called 29 Forever. So proud of our team, uh, the work that our people did. Uh, so thankful to the families who uh, all of the families and the community members who participated. Um, it's work I hope I never, ever have to do again. Um, but it is work that we are really, really proud of. We're proud of the way we handled really difficult content and really proud of our team. And uh, 29 Forever was a documentary and ended up winning a Canadian Screen Award because of our amazing producers and editors and really not that much to do with me. Um, but I appreciate you mentioning it. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a, a pretty intense thing to have gone through, but nothing compared to what all of the families and everybody in that community went through. Um, but uh, yeah, the documentary, I think you can still watch the documentary and uh, still love chatting with uh, I keep in touch with a lot of folks uh, from from Humboldt and uh, really meaningful relationships. Well, yeah, listen, uh, I, I wanted to mention that and I forgot I got carried away. You're a great interview. Everybody. It was a fantastic conversation. And uh, thanks again for coming on the show. That That's it for me, folks. I'm going to wrap it up right now. This has been episode 103B of Tales with TR featuring Ryan Rashog. I'll be back in a few days. Check out downtown TJ's, uh, Green Sleeves downtown, Uptown Trinity Pub, Bull and Barrel, and the Rob Roy. And if you're going for a meal, why not check out Merchant Tavern and Blue on Water. Penny Posh Designs, Women's Wear Reimagined. Check that out. My ex-wife, Danielle, sells Unreal hoodies and now coveralls. And, of course, for the right cheap price, I will throw in a book. Just throw me an email at terryryan2020 at gmail.com. And same goes for any books you're interested in, Tales of a First Round Nothing or Tales with TR, Fights, Film, and Folklore. Shoot me a note at terryryan2020 at gmail.com. Thank you very much for listening. I look forward to tuning in with you guys again in a few days. I thought that was awesome with Ryan Rashog. No fluke that he is a legend in the business and that he's still successful. Thanks again. Catch you on the rebound. This has been episode 103B.